Recycling can be confusing, and it shouldn't be. To help clear things up, we're talking to Jen Harmon from Nashville's Metro Public Works Department to find out about recycling in our city. This is Zero Waste Trash Talk. Um, we are so elated to have you here with us, Jen. So welcome to Zero Waste Trash Talk. Uh, I'm Maris. And that's I'm my- Michael Britt. And that's Michael Britt. And Jennifer Harmon is with us today from Metro Public Works in Nashville. And you are the Waste Reduction Program Manager. Um, if you like, I-, I did get your little bio about how you started with building restoration and some nonprofit work. Maybe just share a little bit about where you're from, how you got into the line of work that you're in, and any other fun facts you want to tell our listeners before we jump into our favorite topic. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So my background was in interior design, and then um, with that, I got really interested in historic preservation, really the idea of reusing buildings rather than sending them to landfill, Mm. Um, and the adaptive reuse, and, you know, the most sustainable building, I feel like, is the building that's already there. So um, from there, I got my master's in historic preservation, and then did a lot of nonprofit work where I found that I really liked talking about it more than actually designing those buildings. Um, so I, I worked for a number of nonprofits. I did a lot of tour programs, public education, community outreach. Uh, I also being the, I like to say token millennial maybe, um, <laughs> but uh, I ended up doing a lot of social media for those organizations um, and uh, got into communications and marketing through that. Uh, moved here to Nashville about six years ago and took that communications background with me to Metro Government. I also was a fun fact. I was a Segway tour guide as well here in yes. Nashville. So that's how I got to learn the city and learn the history of Nashville, or at least cool. some of it. Um, but yeah, I've been at Public Works for about six months, and I'm I'm really excited to uh, be in a position that allows me to move sustainability forward and, and waste reduction, of course. I've always advocated for reuse, so I'm still doing that um, just on a broader scale now. Amazing. I love nice. that. And you have good balance. <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> With the segues. I've never been on one of those things. Well, that is Awesome. That's our common denominator. Michael and I met at, at the MRF, actually, yeah, we did. at a recycling class, and we share the love of protecting our planet and restoring the planet and reusing the things that we already have. We're definitely on board with that. So you're doing great things. Um, recycle, right? We went to that webinar last week, and the main points that we were able to take away from that so we just wanted to go over a couple of those and just recap what we what we think were important. So no dairy tubs, no plastic clamshells, no plastic to-go containers. That is absolutely correct. None of it, unfortunately. And to to build on that, anything that you really get from the restaurant to go, if it's not a compostable product, you probably can't recycle it. No, you really can't. Um, unfortunately, number one, anything that you're going to get from a takeout is going to have food on it. It's just so rare that it's not going to have food, which, um, of course, contaminates your recycling. But then also, it's usually just not a product, like you said, unless it's compostable, that um, can be recycled. It it just ends up in the trash. Right. 
Moving on, no styrofoam. It never has been recyclable and it never will be recyclable. Do you see a lot of styrofoam? There's definitely some styrofoam. There's usually, uh, I've seen, especially at our drop-off sites, big styrofoam like coolers and all that kind of weird styrofoam products. Styrofoam, uh, I will say, it's not recyclable and won't be recyclable in our program, but that doesn't mean it's not recyclable. Mm. There are companies that do recycle styrofoam, but you just have to make sure that you find the right location. And just like our program, make sure that whatever styrofoam product you're trying to recycle is accepted by those drop-off locations. So there's some grocery stores that take it. And there's also a company out in Laverne that will take... uh, uh, styrofoam yeah. packaging we went out material. There. We went out yeah, we, there and actually did, we a, did a little that. video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, and what struck us is that uh, there's one bin for the whole region to put your... So that that's statistically <laughs> zero recycling yeah. happening. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. And, and the other thing we learned when we started digging into that is how styrofoam, unlike pla- other plastics that can break down in 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years, no one's ever been able to determine how long styrofoam will break down so it's nope. it's considered maybe a forever thing so yep it's one of those things we want to avoid mm-hmm. um and michael moving on well let's see the first thing also which we always tell people and, and everybody acts act shocked and you covered it and we appreciate that mm-hmm. is that the recycling triangle doesn't mean anything really just denotes kind of approximately the plastic resins in it doesn't mean it's recyclable Yeah, that's correct. So that one through seven, it's really just denoting, like you said, which type of plastic it's made from. But every plastic product is made differently. So even something that might be, for example, number one PET plastic. So that's where the clamshells come in. A plastic bottle and a clamshell are both made from PET plastic, but there's different additives that have been added to that plastic clamshell container that just makes it chemically completely different. And so it's got to be recycled different, processed different, Um, And it just makes everything really, really complicated. Um, And so those numbers, they are all theoretically recyclable. Um, It's just, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't mean they definitely can be recycled where you live or in any program currently. Yeah, and we saw on that story of plastic, which we were talking about before we got started here today, that uh, the people in Indonesia were sorting it by burning it and smelling it, and they had 83 different types of plastics laid out. That tells you alone that there's not, that, that there's a lot more than one through seven going on there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, number seven is just other. So right. that captures who knows how many different types of plastic. Yeah, I want a t-shirt that says, I'm a number seven. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, the other thing, um, uh, plastic bags. Oh. Yeah, well, pizza boxes while we're talking about food. So, you know, that was one of the things we came across early on, pizza boxes being soiled with the grease from the food. And that's one thing early on. That's our first video that Maris and I did was was about composting and that you should compost that and not recycle it. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask about that, because we see there's a lot of people say, oh, yeah, tear the part off that's not got the food grease on it and send that through. And my thought process was if all the people that are sorting as fast as they can on the on the material recovery facility line are going to instinctively toss out pizza boxes. Is that correct? 
I don't know that they're instinctively going to toss out pizza boxes because that top is going to look just like cardboard. So they're looking really mostly for the things that are going to cause a lot of damage. Mm. So you're talking um, plastic bags, plastic film, plastic bubble wrap, and big bags of recyclables. So they're kind of looking for that first. Um, the cardboard, they're going to see that piece of cardboard. They're going to let that go through. And the reality, I think, more with the pizza box is that that greasy part, if that's left on, instead of the whole pizza box being taken out, that greasy pizza box might actually make it in, which then means that it could potentially transfer some of that grease to some of the other cardboard um, and contaminate that. Um, but also just that piece isn't isn't going to be recyclable. Um, so it just, you know, there are, are so many pieces of material that are coming through um, a MRF, a material recovery facility that they've got to focus on their top contaminants. And that's usually those plastic bags and plastic film. Basically, please don't put Soil pizza boxes. Oh, yeah, please don't. Compost it. (laughs) Okay. Easy enough. enough. Throw that pizza box in compost. That's right. So you talk about plastic bags, and, you know, a lot of people think that since they are recyclable, because they technically are fairly easy to recycle, that they put them in the recycling uh, bins. And what happens is they get tangled and have to be pulled out. They cost uh, man hours and repair time. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, The last time I was at the facility, they told me they have to shut it down usually a couple of times a day just to cut those bags out. And they, of course, have to shut everything down, make sure it's safe, and then they're cutting it out by hand. There's no real way to do it any other way. So after that stuff gets wrapped around, I mean... So that's that's why it's a, a huge problem, and we really ask people to take it to a drop-off facility, or even better yet, try not to get them at all. To follow up with that a little bit, then, um, one way to keep those out would be is if the convenience center offered a way for us to take them there, like a bin. How come the city, to save the hassles and, and, and clarify and maybe make it less confusing, so doesn't have a bin that says, put your plastic bags here? That's a really, that's a great question. Um, And that's also a question that we get for styrofoam and some, a lot of these other products that really need to be separated out. And it comes down to a lot of different factors. It comes down to cost of recycling. We do want to make sure that the cost of recycling stays economic so that we can continue to have that program, especially right now. Um, Any new programming is going to be, be difficult to roll out as well as we work with a contract to do our recycling. So the plastic bag recycling is done through um, through those big box stores, your grocery stores. They have a whole separate system. So it would be a separate contract, and our current contractor doesn't manage or deal with those particular items. Um, so there's a lot of different barriers there. Um, and with the Zero Waste Master Plan, of course, we are definitely looking at Um, options for some of these other things and uh, incorporating strategies that would make recycling um, uh, more options for recycling. But when it comes to plastic bags, we're looking more towards a plastic bag ban, which the state is looking at as well. Well, that's a good thing. I think piggybacking off what Michael said, because we see plastic bags in there all the time. And it's so frustrating because it seems like a really simple idea. It seems almost too simple. Like, how are we messing this up? And we want to, I jump into the dumpsters sometimes and grab stuff because that's the kind of person I am. And knowing that these bags are not going to be recycled, you're not going to be looking into them. They, they're gumming up the machinery and slowing down productivity. So you're talking about trash bags right now full of recycling. 
trash bags, grocery bags. Okay. Any just, kind just of bag. Just making sure we're on the same page. So any kind of bag. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a number one problem. I feel like that sticks out. It's a lot. And if that is really slowing down the process, maybe concentrating on that solution alone, bigger signs that I want to get on there with spray paint and be like, no bags. I want to like write it all the way across and graffiti it so it's pretty and people's like, oh, okay, no bags. Um, but yeah, I think that's just the confusing part for us is if, it, if it's really such a problem, what kind of efforts can we do moving forward that are low cost or or in in your control that we can or, help or or even the monetary discussion can be okay this breaks down twice a day shuts us down it costs yeah. so many thousands of dollars yeah. per month can we put that towards a recycling program for bags instead of repairs yeah yeah um, those are all a lot of good questions I know for us I think the number one thing that we can do um, is public education, um, you know, really helping the community understand. Um, that's kind of where we're at right now, our big focus. Uh, signage, absolutely. Um, we've talked a little bit about about that. I know it came up in the webinar um, the other day. Actually, I think you might have even asked that it was me. in the webinar, <laughs> webinar the other day. Um, and, and we've heard that, that there needs to be bigger signage. So those are definitely some lower cost things that we can do. We saw uh, some new really signs. And yeah. we do have new signs, and they are a little bit more. They have a lot of those no's, and our all of our new signage focuses on our top uh, issues that we're having. So all of those top no's include the no bagged recyclables, no plastic that isn't a bottle, jar, jug, and no plastic bags. Um, those are some of our top issues that we have. So those are on all of our signs now out at the drop-off sites. Um, I think... You had also mentioned um, diverting some of the money from uh, from dealing with the bags at the actual facility, and then that just gets into that money's being paid for through. Um, of course, that's our contractor that's that's absorbing that cost that then comes back to us. So there's absolutely some opportunities to be a little bit more creative um, there, but I think ultimately until we get rid of just plastic, having so many of them in general, the problem is going to continue to prevail. It's similar with litter as well. It's the number one littered item. Um, I see them constantly all over the street, everywhere. Um, mm. So that's why, again, the Zero Waste Master Plan focused on actually banning those items if you don't have it in the first place. And Kroger also has supported that from um, at the state level, level as well. Okay, so... Back to the signage thing, because that's mm -hmm. something that just reminded me that Maris and I were talking about when we first saw them. She she saw them first, the new signs, and she you know texted me photos of them. That's how geeky we are. Look at the new signs, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and but both of us, and then when I went to check them out and I took a picture, it's like wow, it's nice to have the new signs, but they're leaning against the bins on the ground, seeming that kind of denotes that they're not important, and. I was just standing there looking at them going, how do you get those up higher? And I, I was actually up there while the trucks came and changed bins, right? So I saw the whole procedure. Right, because that's they why. Get out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. They get out and they move, physically move the sign and they back their truck up and they line everything up. They put it and they put the new one and they move the sign back. Well, how about if, it, if there's a mechanism because there's, there's a lot of places to hang a sign on those bins. It seems like it would be a little not that difficult for them to just pick one up that's got a hanger spot on the, the side of the bin. 
We have uh, actually talked just about that. We've awesome. talked about, tried to workshop solutions and have come up with some ideas. So it's something in the works and seeing um, just what's the best way that works operationally. Like you said, they have a lot of work moving those things in and out. So we don't want to add work to that process. Uh, but mm. there's got to be a way to move them up. Um, we've also had folks that... You know, if you can't see really well and it's further down there, mm -hmm. and it, it's just difficult to see when they're on the ground and they need to be up. So we That's are good. It's on the radar. Often. Oh, absolutely. Good. Yeah. We appreciate good. that. And and we really don't just hang out all day at the at the convenience center. <laughs> you don't. Even though it sounds like it. <laughs> uh, Maris, they all know Maris by name. And <laughs> I'm there a lot, but they don't know my name. They know you, don't they, Maris? They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> they sure do. Okay. <laughs> moving on, moving on, because we're almost through this list, and this is just the beginning. We're just we're just getting straightened out what we thought was important for us um, to get clear was the peanut butter jars, such a silly – peanut butter jars, we can – they are accepted as long as they're clean and dry. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Mayo jars, mustard jars. All those jars, anything that could be – considered a jar and that kind of includes some of the bigger jars too i think like a like a coffee plastic coffee container those things are would be kind of considered a jar as long as you don't get you know massive we don't want huge huge things but yeah all that stuff absolutely like, like the red folgers plastic exactly ones, like you're talking yep. about the handle okay yep. now, um so really it comes down to the only plastic that goes in it needs to be a bottle a jug or a jar period yep. That's, That's correct. No more little scrap pieces, no no films, no I've saved all my little caps in one bin and putting them in. Nothing, just correct. jugs. Bottles, jars, and jugs. And I know in the past we had uh, there had been some thought that by putting all those caps into one container, closing it up would, would work. And the problems that we have found with that is that one – Sometimes those thing, all those little things that you put inside of that are a different type of plastic, and the plastics yeah. are separated by those different types of materials. So we have number one is separated from number two, but it's only those certain types of number one and number two items that, that can be accepted. So if you put a bunch of things that are number five plastic inside of a number two plastic, well, then it's no matter what, it's going it's, to the wrong place. It's kind of like bagging your recyclables. Exactly. Because we're just going to throw that entire thing out and be like, okay, right. we can't sit we here can't. and just, you know, separate everything from this one jar. But, and um, then on top of that, too, as things go out, go through the, uh, through the process, through the facility, the machinery is, it's huge and it's terrifying in some spots. You know, you don't want to, it can just shred things to pieces as it goes through. So it's going to break that open and all those little pieces are going to fall out. That's, that's the reality of it is, and then it, you know, just becomes trash on the floor. That's a, again, also why in the past we've said, you know, we thought putting all your shredded paper in a paper bag and sending it through would be a way to, um, get around recycle, that. Yeah. Get around yeah. that and recycle shredded paper. And we found that that stuff just gets torn open and it still makes a mess. It becomes a confetti party at the it does. facility. Oh, yeah, yes. I can imagine. I've definitely had confetti fall on me. Plastic <laughs> and paper confetti. So leave the caps on. Leave the caps yeah. on. We're just leave them on and it'll be okay. If not, yep. it goes in your trash. Exactly. Okay. So we're talking about bagging things. Just go back to that for a second. I know, and, and we asked that question at the webinar to clarify that what, if someone puts a bag of aluminum cans in the in the bin at the convenience center or in their pickup bin, that bag just automatically gets pulled out and put into the landfill pile, correct? Uh, typically. I know that some of our, our staff, if they do see stuff that's easily 
able to safely get to and kind of unbag. I know some of our folks do that. Um, we want as much recycled as possible, but if it's not safe for us to get in there or get to it, and it's just going to unfortunately make it to the facility, and then they're going to take it out and send it to landfill. Or you can just call Maris, and she'll get in there. <laughs> so uh, that just kind of, as a train of thought here, you know, part of the problem is there's, it's all self-regulated. You read the sign, you throw things in at the, if you go to the convenience centers. Is there any mechanism for groups like ours and our Zero Waste Nashville uh, Facebook group and uh, our Tennessee Environmental Council volunteers that we can help like stations and people there and and go through this whole education process and help people? Is there any way that could happen? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, we probably need to look at something, of course, further in the future when we're doing more in-person opportunities. Mm -hmm. But in the past, I know we have uh, um, worked with folks that have been out there and done some education. Um, I've participated in some educational opportunities at, uh, at drop-offs where we'll just set up a table and just have somebody there for a number of hours, advertise it so people know that we're there because then we're available to answer questions, but then also help them go through and understand why maybe something they've been recycling isn't recyclable. So that's definitely an opportunity um, that I would be happy to explore and, and see how we can, can do some of those. Okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely let us know if, when, when you're ready to do something like that. Hey, Zero Waste Squad. We're gonna take a minute and run an ad for a company that we love, Compost Nashville. Composting doesn't have to be complicated, messy, or even time-consuming. Compost Nashville can set you up with a lidded bucket to store all of your food scraps and compostable materials that gets picked up once a week from your doorstep. It's that easy. By signing up, you're not only diverting 30% of trash that would normally go into the landfill, but you're also getting finished compost to use in your own yard twice a year. Not into gardening? No problem. Compost Nashville lets you donate your finished compost to a local farm or community garden. Last year, your fellow Nashvillians used this service to divert 730 tons from the landfill. This 1.5 million pounds of compost removed over 1,400 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions from the air. That's like taking 3,687 cars off the road. Use the code TRASHTALK for 50% off your first month when you sign up at compostnashville.org. So contamination. So basically, we know what we can and can't recycle at our or through our curbside and uh, convenience centers, but contamination is a big thing and one of the reasons why recycling is so difficult. And we wanted to ask a few questions about that too. Um, Michael was wondering what kind, of, what percentage of contamination you see in the curbside bins. Um, if you if you kind of could if you knew that figure. And what were the most, what were the biggest offenders for that, for the contamination? Uh, our, the way we determine how much contamination we have is through an audit of the trucks actually coming in. So right now, our contamination rate is around 29% overall. I would say that we see a lot more contamination at drop-off sites than we do through curbside bins in general, because at drop-off sites, there tends to be illegal dumping. We'll find an entire container full of tires. Um, please don't do that. Uh, that's, you know, difficult for us um, to, to manage. And there's a place that you can take your tires and, and we can manage that in other ways. Um, Research but, people. Uh, yeah. Google. Um, and, and I do believe it's, uh, we've also added some signage about illegal dumping at our drop-off sites as well. Um, at least some of our top offenders 
that we have because unfortunately those sites simply aren't, um, they're not managed like the convenience centers are. We don't actually have staff there. Um, mm -hmm. There are schools, there are nonprofits that do help manage those and uh, go around and try and, and help clean them up as best they can. Um, but that's where we're seeing a lot of the kind of bigger contamination. I think there's another question you asked that I've missed. Uh, the, t the top offenders. The top oh, offenders, yeah. Top offenders, yeah. Maybe in, in curbside then. So. In curbside, the top offender is definitely going to be your plastic bags and your food containers. Okay. Those kind of takeout containers. In the drop-offs, it's a lot more illegal dumping type products and people trying to uh, recycle helium tanks and, you know, weird stuff that just shouldn't be there. Do you, do you think that's intentional or is it wishful or I mean, that feels like it's maybe a little intentional. A little of both, I would yeah. think. Okay. Those, yeah. Because I that don't really care me. people. I'm just going to yeah. throw it in there. Yeah. And, and just something I'm thinking about right now, it can become confusing for someone who isn't putting the effort into finding out these types of things because think about the peanut butter jar. It's like, well, if you want to clean it out and dry it, you can put it in your recycling bin. But you can't do the same thing for the to-go containers. There's, right. there's the disconnect there. Why not? Why can't someone put the recycling or the jar in there and technically think, oh, well, if I do the same thing with my to-go container from the restaurant, then that's fine. But it's because the further conversation, which we will get into, <laughs> is there aren't markets for certain types of things. And if there's not a market because we need to sell this product to someone who's going to do something with it, then it won't go anywhere. Would you say that's pretty correct? That's that's exactly it. And that's one of the reasons why on those new drop-off signs, we've tried to be a little bit more explicit about the way that we've worded the categories. So that's why it says plastic bottles, plastic jars, and plastic jugs, and that's it. That's the only thing that's on that sign, and that's what we've shown pictures of. Um, same with food and drink cans. You know, we don't want all those other weird metals, although those can be taken to a convenience center. Uh, but the food and drink cans specifically are, are what's going in that particular recycling program. Um, but we've tried to be very uh, specific about that. And then you're absolutely right. If there is not a market for it, if it can't be sold and turned into something else, it's just not recyclable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, one of the pictures early on that we saw, I think Abby took it and posted it on our Zero Waste Facebook uh, group. Nashville Facebook group, somebody had put in a big you know, hospital IV, the big metal IV rolling stand into the metal one. And then the, the defense, which, which East Nashville, oh, it was on the East Nashville uh, group, which is all, you know, there's so many trolls on that side. There was a, a great number of people defending that, well, it says metals. <laughs> so you have to. It doesn't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that taught us that we have to be very specific because... Yeah people or take things literally. Um, so, so what's, um, how is the contamination rate? And we see that it's like 30% nationwide. That's one of the figures I keep coming across. Is that, how is that doing over time? Has it been getting better or worse in Nashville? From the, the statistics that I've seen for the last few audits that we've had, We've fluctuated a little bit, a few percentages points here and there, but it's um, over the past few years, it's really pretty much stayed at that 30% rate, right around there, 29, 28, 30%. When did Nashville start recycling? Do we know that? Well, I know for sure that um, in, I'm not 100% sure when we started recycling. I should, 
I should know that. I'm going to look it up for sure. I do know that the um, in Tennessee there was an act in 1991 that required there to be uh, diverse strategies for waste reduction to for everybody to reduce their waste at least by 25%. That really kind of jump-started a lot of recycling programs at that okay. point. Um, but I'm not 100% sure when our um, the timeline of our curbside and, and drop-off recycling program started. Yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of track all that and just to see where it where it started, how, how it's been going. And when we're talking about diversion rates too, the amount that's sent for sorting versus the amount that's actually sold into a market those two different things you consider a diversion rate just the amount of recyclables that you're getting at the MRF or is it the diversion actually being sold so the diversion rate uh, for us in terms of the numbers that we report on are just the pounds of recycling that are sent to the facility got it um, so that's what's included in our reporting but we also recognize that uh, as we do those periodic audits, understanding what the rate of contamination is, because we know that and that contamination rate is approximately what's not being sold, what's not going to any of those markets. So what is, so once you, once it goes through the process, uh, the sorting process, and, and you make them into bales, correct? Is that what they're referred mm -hmm. to as the bales? Correct. Um, what is your goal of purity or, you know, what's your, what percentage of non-contamination? I don't know how to, how to phrase that. Do you understand what I'm saying? What, what's the goal there? I understand what you're saying. Uh, and that really kind of goes beyond our role with the recycling program and goes into waste management's kind of uh, their realm. And I'm not a hundred percent sure what exactly they're looking for. That's more, but I'd be happy to ask them and try and find that out for you. Well, even better, what could you even, could you even say, what your role is and what their role is, for, just yeah. to put it side by side? Yeah, so our Metro provides the collection service, uh, essentially. So we've got the curbside, the drop-off service, providing residents with access and ability to be able to recycle. And we have a number of different programs, the traditional recycling being those drop-off and curbside, but then we've also got mattress recycling and um, household hazardous waste collection and things like that. And then we contract, so we collect all of the recycling, the curbside, uh, the drop-off collection, and we take that to waste management's materials recovery facility. They are our contractors, so their role is to then sort it and sell it off to manufacturers. So, of course, the ultimate goal is for zero contamination, absolutely. Now, that's probably not going to happen, uh, but that is the ultimate goal. And for us, we want to reduce as much contamination, all of those things that shouldn't be in there, we want to reduce that as much as possible because that's how recycling is, how we determine the cost of our recycling for waste management to manage it and to process it and do it. And then after that, waste management then sells that product and then that's how they make a profit. Of course, a lot of those dynamics have changed very recently with the bans um, in uh, from China has just really disrupted the global market. Even though we're still selling our recyclables in the Southeast, we've always had this Southeast regional market. It still has affected the prices of all the, that recycling. Um, but that's on, on their end and they're dealing with that. And then um, the contamination rate, like I said, is, is how we're charged. And just from my knowledge, you're paying waste management or waste management pays you to collect it? 
we we have our own staff that collects it. So we pay the for collection. We have um, drivers that go in and collect everything. And then we pay waste management to sort it, process it, and sell it. Got it. And those dynamics have changed a little bit. In the past, when some of those recyclable materials were... Um, we're at a higher value, we actually made a little bit of money off of recycling. So the way the contract worked was we didn't, um, we actually didn't pay for it. Um, and if there was a little bit of profit, we were able to profit share a little bit once they sold the product because they were able to capture all their costs from selling those recyclables. That's unfortunately because the values have severely dropped. They're not able to do that. And that's why we've had to renegotiate our contract and, um, you know, find a, a path forward that we can still continue to offer recycling right. um, for the city and not have to, um, and yeah, just kind of make it all work economically for everybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is kind of jumping ahead because I still have some some procedural questions about how we do things. But one of the big things that, and, and it comes up all the time, especially since the, the you know, Chinese, the uh, sword, sword policy, national sword policy, um, you know, we're finding out, we're seeing on all these documentaries that it's American trash and plastic that's ending up in these third world countries or, or Indonesia, you know, whatever, in poorer countries that we've been dumping it there. So it's never really worked because we thought, okay, China's taking it. That's great. We don't have to worry about it. And when, when we've asked, you know, does, does Nashville, does our, pla- does our plastic or our trash end up over there? Um, I think, well, you can answer that. Is there a mechanism for us to know that our trash and our plastic and our recyclables, once they go through the system, don't get sold on that market and end up in other countries. So we've t- uh, talked with waste management about that and uh, to find out where our recyclables go. And they have a, there's just a really robust market here in the southeast um, for recycling and recycling industry. So as far as we know from what we've talked to them about, we know a good number of the people that they are selling all of these products to, and they are all are all here within the southeast. They don't have to sell out to those domestic or those um, international markets. The recycling that's going overseas to China and some of those other places you mentioned um, have more typically been along those coastal regions um, where they're seeing the backup of recycling and not able to sell it anywhere because they had been using those markets. We're still able to sell our recycling because we have domestic markets here in the United States, majority of which are in the southeast. Is there, is there, is there a mechanism or just because all of this has been going on and, you know, I understand, you know, our contractor says, no, if this is what we're doing, has there ever been an audit just to make sure or any investigation that to, because it's so confusing to make sure that our recycling hasn't ended up somewhere like that? I honestly am not sure. Okay. Uh, that's really, I think that's a sharing question because as far as I know and as um, far as we've discussed, I mean, we've. Also, I know Sharon's had the opportunity to tour the Mohawk facility where the carpet gets made from the plastic bottles that we recycle. Um, there's definitely a lot of transparency in the industries that we know this stuff is getting sold to. I think there's furniture, like park benches that are being made that are um, in being made here in Tennessee, I think. I'll have to double check on that one. But there's, I know um, that we've had some relationships with a lot of these recyclers um, beyond waste management and uh, 
to our yeah. knowledge and to my knowledge it's all staying here although have we had an audit i'm not 100 percent sure do we even do we use any of those products you do you buy back any of those like the park benches that are supposedly made out of our recyclables do we do we utilize those types of products do we buy those think, back i'm not 100 percent sure i know this i feel like i've heard that the state does um in state parks that there's um that the park, some of the park benches that they use are coming from recyclables that are, you know, here from that facility. Um, that's another one I'll have to double check on, though. What about, uh, like, internally with Metro, do you use uh, recycle content office paper? I am not sure. Okay. Um, I'm, I don't know what the purchasing contract is. However, I do know uh, that part of the Zero Waste Master Plan and something that we're looking at uh, very strongly, and we've even started talking with general services about it, is how we can implement... Um, some environmentally um, sustainable practices in our purchasing um, the, and actually build that into our contracts so that when we have, yeah. uh, as contracts come up for renewal, we can start incorporating some of those uh, more sustainable um, practices in doing that. Yeah, the circular economy, which we're all striving mm -hmm. to, to generate. And I heard you talk about Urban Green Lab, and I was wondering what maybe that had something to do with it. They're really great at putting those kind of systems in place for companies is that is that is are they going to oh. be involved in something like that with you guys or we've just started conversations with uh general services and that's about you know that's kind of where we're at at the moment um i'm sure that as uh, urban green lab has been an incredible partner for us um in a lot of different ways so as we can find more opportunities to bring them in and and help um you know help us move this forward we're absolutely going to look at doing that we just like to practice what we preach, you know? We try, sure. we try the best we can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we point that out to, you know, uh, anybody we can actually, that if you're just recycling and not buying recycled products, right. you're not contributing to the solution. You're right, absolutely, the, the full circle. So, you gotta do the full right. circle. Right. So uh, a couple other of the issues I'd like to ask about. First one, cardboard, how about that? So there's, from what I understand, there's a cardboard ordinance that requires individuals and businesses to recycle cardboard. Uh, but we see tons of businesses with overflowing cardboard in their trash bins, and we see, I see tons of cardboard and trash cans in my neighborhood. Is there any mechanism for enforcement? Is it a real ordinance? Where's the cardboard Is it a law? patrol? Yeah, what's going on with that? It's like, it doesn't seem like that, it, that it's Security. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, are, we are fully aware and that there is not the enforcement that needs to be in place on the, the bans that we currently have because we also have a ban on electronics as well. Uh, and those are things that we have not enforced. Oh in my gosh, really? So I believe, yeah, I believe electronics oh, is included in that. Well, let me tell you, we're going to jump right into <laughs> apartment complexes because that's where I live. And we have a dumpster at the bottom of the hill that I live on. And I live in a low-income house or based housing area. So let's just say that... I'm very fortunate to have a car that I can separate all my recyclables and bring them to these convenience center, but many of my neighbors cannot. A lot right. of people have no idea what 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 they can and can't do when it comes to the basic necessities of the human being, right? They don't know what they, what they have, and that sucks. <laughs> but we we don't have recycling here, and every weekend there's TVs furniture, 
all yeah. sorts of stuff that we don't have a gate or a lock or anything. People just come and dump it into our apartment complex and there's not one single thing being done about it. So I know for a fact that that stuff is making it into the landfill, yeah. which I myself, I mean, I'm one person. I saw somebody walking down the hill with a TV in hand and I stopped and I was like, hey, just put that in my car. I'll take it for you. Like that, I mean, yeah. what else can I do? What else can I do for you? I mean, I'm trying, why, um, that's, that's a big question for me. Why don't we have recycling for apartment complexes? Is that something that we see in the future? Is there mm -hmm. Absolutely. How soon? So, uh, so a lot of these things, you know, the zero waste master plan, when you look at it, there are uh, just a ton of different strategies that are put in there that uh, we are going to continue to chip away over at over time um, as we've got the funding, the capacity and the ability to push these things forward. And um, two things for sure. Um, doing better enforcement of cardboard bands and other bands because we want to include more bands. But if we can't enforce right. the ones we currently have, then we can't add more. So that's definitely a part of that program on how we can accomplish that. And then also expanding recycling to apartment complexes is part of that plan as well. Overall, put, putting in place programs and recycling programs that are going to be more effective and incentivize people. Uh, mm -hmm. Another big thing in addition to public education is right now, most people, they don't pay for, um, for example, for your curbside, you don't pay f directly for your curbside collection for trash or recycling. Right. It's paid for through your taxes and through Metro government's budget. And so if um, part of the plan is to move to a program called Save As You Throw, and that incentivizes people to put products in, uh, put more recycling, of course, you have to do it right, which is why we have our oops audit program and, and do spot check. So glad you guys cards. are doing that again. Yeah. And um, we're uh, and then that would also include eventually compost pickup as well. So by putting more products in your compost or by diverting more waste, having less trash, because it encourages you not only to just not have as much trash in the first place because you're paying for how much you're throwing away. And if you keep more out of your trash and put it in the recycling and the compost, then um, it just gives you that financial incentive because you're starting to have to pay for those services. Mm. And um, the more you recycle and compost, the less you're going to pay. So, so for the record, real quick, Michael, no cardboard in your curbside, no electronics right. in, your in your curbside, trash. in your trash. Yeah, well, no electronics in either bin, um, but no, um, no cardboard for sure should go into your trash bin. Um, it needs to go, you know, right in that recycling bin. So, so my comment is, and I don't want to derail it again, uh, but the funding side of things, uh, how we pay for things, um, it, would it be, and, and this is a policy question, so it's not, I'm not putting you on the spot, I'm just thinking outside, out loud. Uh, it's tied to our property taxes right now is, is how our trash is picked up. In, in California, it was tied to our water bill. And mm. so then you could, it's a fee that we had to pay and you didn't have a choice. And if you didn't pay your trash fee, your water got shut off. And so it was all tied together. <laughs> and it made it much easier when the city needs to raise the price, they, they raise the fee for that. Well, right now it's really tough to raise our percentage of our taxes that go towards your department. That's a big political battle. Absolutely. Um, so is that, and part of our conversations and what we're doing here is trying to like, how can we help, you know, make everything work better? So uh, maybe that's how, maybe that's one of the things we need to be talking to our politicians about is separating 
how this service is paid for. Absolutely. And that's, you know, with that Save As You Throw program, it, it does mean that the cost for trash collection and pickup would have to then go onto those, onto residents. And then, you know, if that's, yeah, exactly. It would, it would be a different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Accountability. That's right. Speaking of, <laughs> there, that, that kind of leads me to this next question. Something I hear over and over again is that these construction waste bins that we see that t that according to all the figures is, are way outnumber construction debris way outnumbers what what we as individuals do uh, create and for the landfill uh, I've heard over and over again that they're categorized as a recyclable material and they don't have to pay the same dump dumping fees is that correct is that just false I have no idea I have not okay. heard uh, that's another sharing question true okay Okay. Yeah, if you could get back to us on that one, that would be. I don't know who to ask. That's why I'm asking you. So that <laughs> like, would. You're one. Just to clarify, you're wanting to know what the C and D tipping costs are. So when they tip that trash into the, if it's cheaper than. It, the by categorizing it as as a load of recyclables, construction debris as recyclables, are they paying a lower rate while they're filling the landfills up quicker? That's basically the the gist of my question. Got it. I've not heard that, but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, Mo, one of, we ask a lot of our, our network, what questions they would like us to talk to you about specifically. And a lot of people mention glass all the time. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, we want curbside pickup. And, and, you know, I agree to that to some extent and we'll, I'll, I'll get to that one in a minute. But I, what I don't want is for it to be like, uh, Chattanooga, which according to the Tennessean, they they yielded to all the demands for glass and then just picked it up as a separate entity and dumped it straight into the landfill. <laughs> so glass is an issue. Um, so I have two questions about that. The well, the first question is, why can't we separate it, have a separate pickup for glass? I understand that it, it, when it's mixed and crushed in the trucks and goes through the system, it's dangerous. It embeds in different materials and, and it just becomes a nuisance. But what about a separate glass pickup? So glass absolutely as a separate pickup is, um, yes. Okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't going to say the wrong thing. Um, I am sure that glass separated pickup is part of our zero waste master plan as well. So it is another one of those things that we are trying to incorporate, um, into that program so that we can offer that service. And of course, right now there are other companies out there. Um, there's some private companies, there's some great nonprofits that um, do offer that curbside collection for a fee, but it is something we plan on incorporating into our program. So uh, that's great. I'm excited about that. <laughs> I think a lot of people will like that answer because that's what they want. And the other um, one was like, what was yeah, the class? So the, the, the rest of it is, is the, the rest of this question about glass for me is that there, you know, the, the honky tonks downtown. I mean, according to, again, the Tennessee and, and the the bigger honky tonks produce up to a hundred thousand glass bottles on a busy night. That's one honky tonk that can do that. So I know, uh, two years ago, year and a half mm -hmm. ago, we had a pilot program that that was supposed to be collecting glass, and I guess it was supposed to be six million dollars over so or whatever over so many years, and and I in the first I, I read in the first. 20 days they collected 10 tons of glass and then it was canceled after three or four months because it wasn't working can you tell us what went wrong or what happened with all of that um i think it went on a little bit longer than that but uh so 
unfortunately, you're right. It did fail. It didn't end up working out. Uh, and there are a lot of different reasons for that. Um, first of all, downtown's um, glass and recycling collection in that downtown area that we were doing the program is collected by Metro Nashville Public Works. Um, so we collect it, which means that they don't pay for that collection. Um, again, it's part of that general fund money to do offer that that collection service. So none of those businesses are financially incentivized to do something different. They so, don't pay for their for the waste hauling. So for there's part of downtown that is included in our curbside program. So it it's just all wrapped up in um, the general fund uh, money that comes. Uh, to public works. So that is, so they aren't paying a separate fee. Um, I think there is some confusion that when they pay, there's a different fee that they pay for being downtown and, um, but it does not go towards trash collection. That's part of, uh, the Metro general fund. So we collect that curbside, um, all of those carts. And I believe we provided, um, I was not with public works at the time, but I believe we provided some additional carts for them. Um, and then had a separate pickup. So, um, but because they didn't, one, they didn't pay for the service, so they weren't financially incentivized. And then, um, also, unfortunately they had, um, there's a, a very high turnover rate for employees downtown. So the amount of education and trying to re-educate over and over again all of these employees just wasn't happening um so a lot of employees didn't know how to how to manage it how to separate what they were supposed to do and then um beyond that for um we pick up i think it's like twice a day for trash and twice a day for recycling we pick up downtown we're down there all day long picking up trash and recycling because there is so much that's generated down there. And for that reason, we weren't able to do similar to like our audit program where if we find that this is contaminated, we can't pick it up. We couldn't do that downtown because of, just because of the sheer amount of trash. So all of these different kind of components coming together, we were ending up having to just um, so many bins were just filled with trash and the honky tonks weren't necessarily separating it out. Um, and so we ended up having to, they would come by, find that. And instead of being able to pick it up, they'd have to tell somebody, no, it's trash. You've got to come and pick it up. Um, and we just weren't able to not pick up that much trash that's sitting out there. So for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. it was unfortunate that that did not work out. Um, are there plans to try to readdress it in the future? Um, I am not a hundred percent sure exactly. I think you know when you have a, a program like that not not move forward, it's kind of difficult to get it regoing again. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, we don't have things again in our our strategies and our zero waste master plan to address um, the recycling and the trash collection downtown to to do better. What if uh, again this here's a policy idea? What if we go to city council and say, We'd like you to charge 25 cents a bottle to these people downtown that are that are flooding our dump with bottles unnecessarily. Is, would that is that? Well, you can't. You know. <laughs> yeah, you think it's a good <laughs> idea, a right, <laughs> Maris? What do you think about that idea? That's my idea. Is I so think you said there's no incentive for them to do it if they're paying for per bottle. Maybe they start pouring taps a little more often, and maybe they quit throwing so much glass away. Well, and the again, the save as you throw idea that we are looking at for residential programs is also something that you know we want to expand to those commercial businesses as well. So in the future, there would 
be some of those incentives. And when it comes to kind of those bottle bills, a lot of those, um, you know, there's a lot of states that have done it successfully. There's, you know, opportunities for that to explore. And a lot of those often, though, you'll see more at the state level. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Which is out of, out of our control at okay. this point. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Glass. And uh, Justice, Justice Industries.org, I believe, was what you referred to on your webinar last week. And I just wanted to give that out. If you want, wanted glass pickup before that happens, there's, there are places out there that will do that for you. Or you do like Maris and I do, and we take our glass and our compost at the same time and drop it off at the recycling centers, the convenience centers. We do. Centers. We do go to the convenience yeah. center, which does take glass and compost. Which we love. You right. Which we love. All right. Moving on. Speaking this of... is great. Jen, how you doing? How you feeling? <laughs> I'm, good? I'm, I'm good. I'm, this is great. Amazing. <laughs> She's as geeky as we are, about probably more so than we are about trash, actually. Yeah, it really is a pleasure to have you speaking with us today. Um, and we definitely hope that we can continue the conversation even after this, because it's obvious that we have some things that we need to go over that maybe we don't have the answers right now. Getting back to the market thing, we I think we went over most of the different topics with streams with all the recycling streams michael do you agree yeah i think we so. kind of went over all that stuff yeah. i mean if i mean the one you... well the one that we didn't cover that i wanted to was uh did we talk about yard waste being bagged up we didn't so that, no. i see all of my neighbors raking their yard waste into plastic bags and i, I <laughs> the, there seems to be a lack of education on that and i see that a lot of people if you go to home depot you get the cheaper free paper bags what is what is metro doing to educate people that they shouldn't be bagging their yard waste uh, like bagging in plastic bags? Yes, in, ba in plastic bags. Yeah, because yeah, cause those just end up in the trash versus compost where they're supposed to be picked up as, right? Right. Um, so, well, if it's if you bag it in um, plastic, I think one of the things about yard waste that's nice is that uh, if you bag it in plastic, we're not going to pick it up. So that right there is the incentive to not bag it in plastic because we won't pick it up. Where um, are they putting it? So are they putting it, it in their trash bins? Um, there are part of... Um, the breakdown of what we found in landfills was what's labeled as organics, but that includes both food and yard waste. So there's definitely still some yard waste. Again, that's another one of those that the enforcement needs to to be brought online to really push that. Um, hmm. In fact, I had someone just the other day that asked more about, you know, how can, can we do more brush pickup? Can we do, you know, can we what do we do when we have so much brush? And, and one of the things that you can do is our contractor that we work with for brush pickup, they have two locations and you can take your brush and drop it off. Um, so you, you know, if you don't want it sitting out in your front, if you have a bunch and you don't want it sitting out in out of your ditch, keep it out of the ditch. I will say that. Um, but you know, at the edge mm -hmm. of the street, don't create a dam. Uh, water needs to flow through your ditch, but keep it out of the ditch put it in paper bags and we'll come and pick it up four times a year. If that's not enough, um, then there's definitely some drop off free drop off options for you. And we do share about that on social media, but I think the biggest way to educate people is that we just won't pick it up. Paper bags. Paper bags. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My dogs love, uh, I think, I think the brush collection here in East Nashville, it's, you know, everyone piles it out and the guys come with the big arms on the truck mm -hmm. and pick it up and it all is so efficient. And they don't really, I don't think, I ever remember seeing anything like that in Los Angeles. I don't think we had trucks driving around picking up debris like that, uh, the yard yard tr trimmings. Mm -hmm. I think we had to pay to haul it off. 
So that's pretty education, interesting. Yeah. Education. Education. We, it is, uh, there's so many common themes, Jen, and we know that even just talking about these things, as much as we talk about it over and over and over again, we're trying to look at this through a different lens at this point because what we are seeing is, yes, we've we've had plastic, which is the main problem, right? I think plastics are part of the main problem. We can all agree. And we're seeing that over the last 20 or 30 years, the problem has been put back onto the consumer. Recycle. Okay, we're recycling. It's, you're not doing it right. Okay, well, we're going to try and do it better. And then we try and do it better and still not. It's still not right. Then it's, well, why aren't we reducing, reusing? We need more education. People don't know what they're doing. Okay, well, you go into the store and don't buy the plastic. Okay, wait, everything's covered in plastic, so we don't have options. So is it safe to say, talking to you today, you know, what do you, what do you think about the system and how this has been progressing? Do you see some light? Do you see, are you feeling inspired or are you feeling like, this is the same crap over and over again. And education, we can blab, 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 blab all about it. What are we doing that's not working? How do we how do we do something different? That's what I'm, my question is to you. Like, what is your personal thoughts? What are your personal thoughts on that? Um, you know, I really, unfortunately, the way that recycling has, was basically brought into mainstream when people first started recycling it was all based on this you're absolutely right putting the onus on the consumer the person that bought that product it wasn't on the industry to manage it so this industry they made this product you now have trash and now you've got to deal with it and your tax dollars have right. to deal with it and it's it's frustrating and there was a lot of uh, marketing that went into that that made people believe that they could recycle everything so you start at a place that is just, it's now so difficult when you look at the public education side because it's not so much that recycling has changed, it's that it's become more transparent. And so now that there's more transparency, that's at least where I feel there is some light at the end of the tunnel because we now know that that plastic dairy tub wasn't getting recycled, that plastic clamshell container wasn't getting recycled. So even though it's more complicated, we are already doing it better because we know more. And, hmm. but then on the other side of that, so we can, we can only do so much and there's gotta be a lot of change on the top end. Like anything else, it's gotta stop, start at the very top. And I, I really believe there's some legislation going through the federal government that um, a lot of folks are, you know, have said it's dead in the water, but it's, it's not dead in the water if people support it and people get behind it. And there's more voices that really want to see change on a sustainable level and how we manage our waste. And so if we can have some more regulation on a across the country on a federal level to really force industry to make a change, then I see some light there. That's where I see a lot of potential. And and I also, I know we have a lot of people, I talk to a ton of people that are just so overwhelmed when it comes to plastic. And it's one thing that I've realized myself, I have to I have to recognize that I can only do so much. I can do as much as I can, but by you know, right. you know, but I can't feel bad because I can't recycle this thing because ultimately that's not my fault. And so I really encourage people to to not get too overwhelmed, but also to find ways where they can support 
legislation that will force change. So, so let me ask you. So, uh, one of the things that that the conclusions that I've been coming to personally, we have a system that has been going on 20, 30 years. Consistently, the total number of plastics recycled in that time period, it, it's generous, according to all the statistics, it's generous to say that 10% of the plastics created have been recycled into something else. That the, the flip side of that conversation is, as an industry, recycling plastic fails 90% of its mission. So that seems like a, a distraction, and, and this again is a policy question, should we even as a society be recycling plastic? Because like you said, as we shine light on it, when you go to the store and you think, oh, I'm going to get that lettuce in a clamshell, oh, I can't recycle that, I'm going to have to throw it away, maybe I should choose the one that's not in one or ask the store for lettuce not in a clamshell. Which is significantly more expensive. Sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah, I buy Usually. my yeah I buy my produce from farmers markets and CSAs, and I, I, I am I have the means to avoid plastic, but most people don't. Meg and I just for a little example went to a store, and we you know she usually buys spinach from a bag, and it's like a dollar, and then we went somewhere where they bushel the spinach, and it was four or five dollars. It's a big difference, yeah. <laughs> especially for someone on a budget. Yeah. So should we? Uh, I, the the question and th one of the things we're exploring on this podcast is that maybe it's better if we just recycle the things that work, the aluminum, the tin cans, the paper, and uh, glass, if possible, and maybe the 40%, is that right, 40% of compostables in the in the system? Is that about right? 40% organics? About yeah. 30 to 40. Yeah, right Closer to 30, I think. Okay, 30%. Yeah. It's like that, you know, if we, if we did shift to composting instead of recycling plastic, and I know, you know, mechanically for, for, you, for, for you to say, oh, yeah, we can flip a switch and do composting tomorrow instead of plastics, that, it doesn't work that way. I understand that. But, the but, dream. But as, a, but as people asking for policy change, I, I feel like my, <laughs> I'm going to be asking for let's stop recycling plastic. I, I think that's the conclusions that I'm, I'm coming to, that it's, it's a failed system. Um, is, am I totally off base with that? Tell, uh, tell us how you really yeah, feel, Michael. <laughs> tell us how you really feel. That's, that's how I feel. So, yeah. If we've done all this pseudo-education, I'd say pseudo. I'm glad you're there to help bump things up because yeah. we think there, was, there was a, uh, wasn't enough uh, education for this. But, but regardless, you know, education has been tried redoing the the sorting facilities every 10 or 15 years, you know, big companies put investments into that, cities invest in it. We've been doing the same thing on a repeat cycle. So what, what do you, going forward, what is Nashville Metro Public Works doing uh, to think differently and approach this differently? Well, I think number one, uh, I know I've said it a number of times, but the zero waste master plan, it really is, uh, it's an entire new way of us approaching waste management and how we deal with the things that we no longer need um, and how we deal with, with all of our waste. And it comes at it from so many different angles of all the different areas that we need to address. So looking at, I think one thing um, that is great is that we're looking at it in all these different areas. So, you know, looking at construction and demolition waste you mentioned and the recycling of construction and demolition waste, we can make huge improvements there. There's There can be more opportunity there, but 
the Zero Waste Master Plan also recognized that we don't necessarily have the facilities in place yet. So looking at how can we bring those facilities in, how can we find perhaps public-private partnerships to do something like that so that we are able to just even have the market to process those different types of materials. So we recognize that there is, with each one of these different areas and each one of these different strategies, there is there are a whole lot of players that have to be involved and we have to approach and, and those players and we have to have conversations with them, have conversations with, you know, of course, we're in, having conversations with council members, having conversations with the mayor's office, but having also conversations with our partners, uh, you know, folks like you, as well as just any of our, our other partners in this, um, as well as as companies, you know, we're we're talking with waste management more about if I am not sure if something's recyclable, I will call waste management and ask them the specifics and say, hey, is this a thing that's going in? That's how we found out definitively that clamshells, even though we got new technology and the technology can sort that material, they don't have a market for it. So once there's a market, we'll be able to sort out clamshells and be able to potentially recycle them. Um, but you know, we're having those conversations and we're really trying to to approach it in a way that, it, you know, we have to do it better. And that's what the Zero Waste Master Plan is all about. And that thing's a doozy. It is. It's, it's a lot. And it's not going to happen right away. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It is a 30-year plan. And uh, we just embarked on it. Uh, 2016, of course, recent challenges. You know, we've got to work with financial challenges and what are the challenges. most? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, what are the most important things from that? If you mind, like, like, what are the things that we could see coming up, like, sooner than later? Um, I'm going to take that in two different two different directions. I think one, the biggest to understand the plan, the biggest impact areas that we can make are in increasing commercial and residential recycling, increasing our recycling of construction and demolition waste, and um, increasing our and, and having food diver, food waste and organic waste diversion. So those three things, okay. if we can get those things that's under control, now there's a lot of strategies that go into doing that, but if we can get those things, that's going to get us alone to 75% diversion of those things. I think some of the things that are going to, um, that we've seen some positive movement on are, you know, some of the circular economy things being able to work in into our contracts, um, starting that process and those conversations to be more sustainable about our purchasing processes. Um, we're also looking at how we can incentivize um, uh, developers to recycle their construction and demolition waste. Um, you know, if they don't have an incentive to do it, even if there's a recycling facility available, they're not necessarily going mm. to make that choice. So we're looking at ways we can incentivize that. And those are conversations that we've been having um, with a lot of changes to recycling, of course, we've been focusing on that. But if we continue to recycle, but recycle right, that's going to help. That's going to improve. Yeah. And, and, you know, increasing participation. There are still people that can get curbside recycling bins that don't have them. So if we can educate people, let them know that, no, your recycling's not going to China. When you do recycle correctly, it gets recycled. It gets turned into things. It gets turned into carpet, fleece. All You know, those plastics do get turned into things. Um, so it's, it's a lot of different stuff that we've got to do, but, um, it's doable. And there's a lot of stuff that are, are on the horizon that we can do. Is there any conversation awesome. about 
multi-stream instead of single stream because i've read i know it's again like that's a policy thing and that's a about face from what's going on but the statistics i was reading says that single stream collects almost 26 percent more content but it's 30 percent of that is 29 30 percent of that is is contaminated where multi-stream collects less content but it was only one percent 1.6 percent contaminated so it's pretty much a wash and much more effective on the selling end of it than the collecting end is there any conversation that maybe single stream isn't the right answer um you know we did used to have a separate collection back before plastic was all introduced you know they they took everything and, and separated it with the trucks um in our collection program um i think moving forward we're ease and access to recycling when you start making it more complicated for people when they have to start separating things out i'll i'm gonna throw my parents under the bus um so my parents they don't live here but they live in a community that their recycling program has seen significant changes and reductions and now they have to separate um their uh their recycling so the cardboard goes out on this day this week cans this day the next week and it's so complicated for them they just stopped recycling i brought a lot i've i've started bringing their recycling home with me because they do not recycle um and you are one of us (laughs) we do that too we bring it home from wherever we're at we bring the Uh, trash with us absolutely um but it if it's too complicated people aren't going to do it and that's one of the real benefits of curbside recycling and why it continues to be in our program because you know those people that aren't like us those people that don't really care they aren't going to take the time to do a lot of that extra effort incentivize <laughs> that's it that's the i guess you're right yeah. canada <laughs> canada what's a- the first thing that comes to my mind is canada because they do it so well yeah. like they're, we need to talk to them about how they're doing it because their people do it. Even the people that don't care do it because they have to. Yeah. I think there's just too much gray for us. Sure. And that's why, and, and not giving people a chance to prove themselves because we, we are a throwaway society. We're a convenient society. We, we like easy things. But if it's the rules, you're just going to have to do it. And if you don't do it, Maybe we don't pick up your trash at all. And you pay more, which is the other program you're working on. It's actually, I think that's a really fair mechanism as the people that, I mean, I see, there are people in in my neighborhood I see going down, uh, is it Porter? There's one of the roads, there's somebody that has like four trash cans and they're filled overflowing every week. And first of all, I'm like, what are these people doing that they create four trash cans full full of waste? But why are we paying the same amount of money out of our taxes to have our trash picked up? You know, right. my, honestly, I mean, you know, Maris, yours is a little different situation. I do the curbside. I only put my trash out once a month and it's only a quarter full. That's all the trash that I have when I'm recycling uh, and composting. Composting was the big deal that took a lot of that out and actually made my trash not smell bad. The, the, the reality was we put the, we put the trash out when it starts smelling bad in the backyard. Uh, before because that happens sooner now because there's no organics in there it doesn't smell bad so uh, it's just interesting I think I think the concept of paying paying for what you're putting into the landfill is is a little more equitable yeah that might help solve some problems absolutely all right there's some smart people on that zero waste master plan (laughs) there definitely were yes 
That was great. I think um, that was a great conversation. We really, again, thank you so much for being on our show. And whatever whatever we can do to get the messages out to our listeners, which Michael and I, what was it? The first two weeks we had almost 300? Well, we have, right? well, the podcast, that in the first 30 days, we had 400 listeners. Now, our goal and when we started, because you, you weren't, I don't think you were part of the uh, waste management at the time last summer when we did our, mm-hmm. our second uh, meeting that Sharon spoke at. You know, a hundred yeah. of our Zero Waste Nashville Facebook people and, and in our community, a hundred people showed up on a Wednesday night to talk about recycling. <laughs> And we think that's great, and, and we can fill the room at Jackalope and all have this great, amazing party, but we're, we keep trying, we make yeah. these videos, we have social media algorithms getting in the way, and we thought, well, you know, how, we want to reach, I want to reach more than the hundred people that came to that. And so our goal was, is pretty modest. We're like, if we can get a thousand people, that'd be awesome. And uh, so, yeah. so for us to 3. have- 3.5% yeah. population. Is all we need for change. Yeah, 3.5% wow. of the people all we need. can move the needle to make change. Um, so, yeah, our, our goals are modest. We just want <laughs> to connect with our community and, and, and uh, energi- energize and activate them. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're evolving. Yeah. We're evolving and we're taking advantage of any opportunity that we can. And especially with the resources like you guys, we really appreciate this. So Absolutely. And use us. Takeaways. Yeah, use us as a resource. Feel free. Takeaways from today. Um, we know that recycling is uh, <laughs> a complicated system, but we know what we can and can't recycle in our in our system here in Nashville. And it is changing all the time. So... That's why we tell everyone to be aware and to research and to look on the internet and to find that information yourselves. But we did learn what we can can't recycle. We know that the markets have something to do with that. We know that you guys are doing your best to make sure that we can collect recycling. We know that waste management is on the other side of the process. So we're not really sure about what's going on on that side because that's their job. Um, so maybe we can look further into that in the future and, and see how we can make that more transparent. Um, and then it seems that federal legislation is still the number one way to make change and to have this uh, an, as a norm instead of some people do it and some people care. This has got to be a norm for all of us. But um, cool. Well, maybe we can do this weekly. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jen. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Well, have a great day. Awesome weekend. And thanks again for coming and hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.